anybody receiving nine percent a nine percent raise over four and a half years it's a bit it doesn't make sense it doesn't make sense at all you're racking in billions of dollars and you're giving people nine percent raises yeah. over four and a half years um what's the reaction been from the community the community so far this is the community our reaction is we're uplifted we're exuberant we're excited we're ready for what the future holds this, this is going to affect everyone in our community. Everyone. I believe me and you, Laura, will be affected. It'll be social equality. There'll be more money inside of the environment, inside of the community. Business will, businesses will open because of the opportunities that will be presented to not only me, but you as well. So I'm, I'm super excited, and the community is excited as well. What would you say to a union member who was thinking about going on strike but was afraid? I would tell them, Fear not, because that's one of the th one of the Bible verses that I've been looking at lately. Fear not, the Lord is with you. That's what I like. I wake up every day. I don't have anxiety. I don't fear. I'm out here for something that's bigger than just me. So that's what I would tell somebody. This is just bigger than an individual, and we're together in this. If you fall down, you'll have someone to your right and left to pick you up. Uh, anything else to say about the strike or how you're feeling or anything? I'm happy that you're out here, Laura, supporting us. It starts with one person and it continues. The ripple effect of this will be, it'll definitely be great for the community. It'll be, it's, going, it's just exciting. I'm very excited. So what can people do to support you? People can come out and pick it with us. Local 900 is taking donations. They can donate anything. You can come out and pick it. That's free. Your time. Share it on social media. Mm -hmm. Speak to people like you. Speak to us. Understand what tears are. Mm -hmm. You know, like you know, just come out and talk to us. We're out here, and we're willing to speak to anybody that comes out here and talks to us. Great. Thank you. That wraps it up for this week's session of Labor Radio. This Monday and every Monday at 6 p.m. You've been listening to Laura Watlin interviewing strikers on the picket line at the Ford Assembly Plant in Detroit in the f historic first week of the first of the big three UAW auto workers strike. Stay tuned for Prison Pipeline. <laughs> Howdy everybody. I'm Rose Maddox and I'd like to tell you that you're listening to KBOO in Portland, Oregon, the station that I listen to when I'm in the area. Baby, you understand me now. Don't
greetings and welcome to Prison Pipeline, airing from the studios of KBOO Portland. Prison Pipeline presents a unique perspective of the criminal justice system addressing the root causes of crime and broadening understanding of the institutional incarceration. I'm your host, Adam Carpinelli, and today we're here with Josh from Phoenix Rising. How you doing? Good, man. How are you? Hey, great. Thanks so much for being on. Phoenix Rising has been featured on Prison Pipeline for many, many years. I think I had mentioned to you that we have a lot of uh, very uh, elder alumni from the show who, you know, used, used to have other members from Phoenix Rising on, on the show in the last, I don't know, 10 to 20 years or something. So, so honored to have you all back on. I know a lot has changed since we had you last on COVID, everything, but let's talk about you first. Tell us about yourself, how you got involved. Um, yeah. Uh, so actually I was on here, um, probably f- four or five years ago with, uh, with Harry Olson, who was the, the founder of, of Phoenix Rising Transitions. Um, we came on the show just before COVID. So it's interesting being on after for sure. I, I joined Phoenix, um, when I was incarcerated myself back in, in early 2000s, um, around 2005, I, I interacted with Harry and, and found myself gravitating towards what they offered as far as programming. Um, what they were bringing into the institution and um, have been kind of involved off and on ever since. Um, now I'm a peer support specialist with them. I'm, I'm an employee with them. Um, so that's kind of a new role um, in general in a, a new position uh, for me. So now I'll be acting as a, a mentor um, for folks in, in recovery and coming out of prison. That's great. And uh, definitely we really honor that whole legacy with with the work that, that he did. Um, and because uh, I understand he's no longer with us. Right. Yeah. Right? He passed. Yeah. He passed away yeah. last year. Okay. Well, the, it sounds like the organization is really on the up and up. Do you know any of the general uh, kind of organizational history and and what is Phoenix Rising, you know, focusing on exactly? Yeah. So Harry, Harry, um, with the help of a couple of friends, started the organization around the concept of changing changing prison culture before guys got out. Before, um, and I say guys because we've been we we primarily work with men due to uh, just that having been the direction our organization is, has been going. So when I use that, I'm not, I'm trying to be exclusive. Um, so, you know, he, he knew that the, the, the missing link seemed to be that period of time just before guys got out to hitting the gate and then to integrating into society. He was noticing that people were just basically having to integrate the day they got out and learn and navigate all the systems that are now brand new and all the people and, and everything that came with that. And he was also noticing that people were experiencing like CPTSD like symptoms from having been inside. And so what he wanted to do was to create an organization that focused on um, the period before the the year to 18 months before folks got out um, to try to change their culture, their language, their their mindset, and to get them integrated with community members before they hit the gate so that when they got out, it wasn't such a big culture shock. What that sort of transitioned to is um, him working with uh, Industrial Areas Foundation, which is a grassroots organizing um, initiative uh, nationwide. They have a local chapter here that um, offered and offers uh, community organizing and advocacy training. And so he modified that and brought it into the institution as a a leadership training skill set that would provide not only just an overview of like community organizing and advocacy, but also um, kind of the concept of learning your story and learning how to communicate with other people um, from a perspective of of hearing them and and acting in a place of empathy, um, and then he also focused on allowing the men inside to work with community members to come up with other programs um, that benefited them in some way, like um, breath work, um, yoga, 
creative writing, just whatever, whatever would come from them. Um, he didn't want to come in and say, because I've done time, I know what you guys need. It was from a place of what do you guys need? And I'll, I'll see what I can do about that. And uh, over time, it, it grew into having a, a, a mentorship aspect. Um, and eventually they ended up getting a sober house. They don't, they don't have that anymore. That was sort of um, kind of an odd direction for the organization. So we, we ended up not continuing with that, but the primary goal and focus has been using that training and using that community integration to help people mentally transition as much as physically before they get out. So when you talk about transition and the challenges and the barriers, that is a lot to unpack. There are a lot of things and there's probably a lot of things that sometimes the general public has no clue as to the extent of all the extraneous barriers that is there set up. Maybe it's on purpose, right? You know, whatever, but that people have to deal with. So we want to talk more about services too, but but just to have an idea of what some of those things are that you can tell us about. Yeah, exactly. So for most people, when they consider someone coming out of prison, they're not they're not looking at the the concept of you know internally what people are going through. It's it's more of just an idea of you know if somebody comes out, they just need a place to live and a job, um, and it's kind of up to them to figure that out. You know, it shouldn't be up to us as a society. I, I think that's kind of the general. American vibe that I get from how how folks look at prison. You know, it's it's a warehousing system. We put people in there and we just hope they figure it out. In, in practical terms, that's not that's not helpful. That's not what works best. What we've seen works best is when the community works to try to reintegrate them back into the fold if they're willing. If the if the person's willing to try to work with the community to be a part of a, a member of that community again, um, then it's up to the community to kind of make that accessible and. So when we talk about transition, we're not talking necessarily about the aspect of uh, physical services, like getting a getting a job and getting a house. Um, we're talking about the aspect inside people that makes that a challenge to maintain, um, the stability necessary to maintain that. It's pretty easy. Not I'm not going to say it's pretty easy. It's it's reasonable to get a job. Um, it's hard to keep one when your mindset is still in prison and your mindset is still around a lot of the code of conduct that you've had to operate in there. There's a lot of things that can trigger real difficult responses in, in people. Um, they can either become violent or they could just, you know, decide they're going to quit on the spot or become verbally um, harmful to each other. And while we're not trying to like therapize anybody, because none of us are trained therapists, we're trying to create kind of a sense of, of internal leadership so that they can advocate for themselves and they can learn that, you know, okay, I, I have the job, I have the house, or, or even, you know, it's hard for me to get a job that doesn't mean I should give up. It's hard for me to get housing. That doesn't mean I should give up because um, there's people in the community that are rooting for me. I'm a, I'm a part of something. I'm a part of um, I'm a part of the people on my street. I'm a part of the people in my city because the isolation. When you, you know when you're inside, you build a camaraderie with with people around you, and you build you build a sense of society, even though it's not necessarily a healthy one. And when you get out and you're isolated, and you're you're an island. The type of people that you flock to are going to be the ones that you may have flocked to inside. And if those people are unhealthy as well, but you, they give you that sense of community, you're going to keep gravitating towards that. And the only way to really break that, that cycle of keep, you know, keeping in that mindset of criminal activity and being around those type of people is, is to be integrated back into community. So our transition is, is a mental and, and hopefully kind of emotional, maybe even spiritual. I'm an atheist, so I don't know if that works for me, but just more of an internal one. Kind of getting over yourself so that you can you can you can stop acting a fool and and hopefully work with the people that you're going to be living around and and it looks like a lot of the model what i hear you saying is that 
it's really based on this kind of peer mentorship and that it's a uh, really kind of more more led by the prisoners themselves is that right is that 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 sounds like that's part of it and then the way that people like even like yourself continue outside and or you know help to uh to elevate um all these endeavors yeah exactly so that's where the the grassroots organizing kind of training comes in comes in the most effective grassroots organizing goes to the community that they want to serve and ask them what they need they don't go in and decide what the community needs so the only way to do that is through story and through hearing people and through a sense of empathy. So if if you're coming from that place, which can be difficult as someone who's doing time to to really open yourself up to other people and hearing their story and being empathic to these other people. When you're coming from that place, it's really easy to advocate around someone else's needs uh, and put them uh, kind of first. And when we go in and we talk with the guys inside, you know, usually the things they don't talk about are getting a house the things they talk about is how to manage staying like i said staying in the house how, how do they how do they how do they do the interview like if they get the interview how do they how do they act in an interview what's that even going to look like how do they how do they interact with a, a a doctor the first time that they they talk with one what do they do when the doctor seems short with them or you know they feel rejected by what the doctor's saying or you know the, these kinds of things where they don't have a skill set for that I mean, I, I had my own experiences with that, but we started to hear that kind of stuff from them. And, and like I said, that started turning into other, other programs that we were able to offer, like the creative writing and the, um, we used to do some, some workshopping for folks before they were getting out for, um, you know, for job interviews and stuff like that. Um, we, uh, we just, yeah, we just sort of let them decide for us what, what we could try to provide. And then we tried to work out a way to make that happen. We had one group, like as an example, we had one group that um, we had an organization come in and present what they were doing in the community. And one of the folks was transgender and the other was uh, non-binary. And the guys inside were trying to be respectful, but they were just really ignorant about what that even meant. So they asked them if they could come in and educate them about pronouns and about what that looked like and how they could be more respectful to people in the community when they're talking with folks. And you could tell, I mean, I could tell that some people were really resistant to, to, to being there, but they sat through it and they tried to learn. Like they came from a place of learning and, and wanting to be educated, which I, you know, off the cuff, that's not something that I even thought would have been on the table for things to bring in. So we only learned that because they asked for it. They, they, they requested that. So you have one small organization like Phoenix Rising doing a lot um, and specifically out of uh you know, I guess one or two particular facilities and it just sounds like, and there's so many, you know, so, so much in reach to do and so many people that need that help and stuff. So what does that look like as well? I mean, the, on the larger picture, as far as what is lacking, you know, you know, so we have this ex excellent example of what y'all do really engaged, like specialized model and then go anywhere else. It's not, it's like not, not happening or maybe happening to some extent. And so, so what, what does that mean, I guess, for the larger picture of, of incarceration and, and these kind of transition services that, that are just crucial? So, you know, COVID kind of put a, a stint on our ability to even go into CRCI. And we're just now working on getting back into the prison. What we're really struggling with right now is, um, honestly, I'm the only ex-con right now that's really a regular active member of, of the organization. There's other people that, that help when they can, but... Um, it's hard to create a presence of that peer relation when we're limited to kind of just me, you know, being the the main linchpin of that. 
So, you know, we need volunteers, man. We need people that are willing to come in, do the training, um, work with us to do the training. We're trying to set up some classes outside. Like I said, we we have a, a class that we're trying to do that's more around um, managing like triggers and using like somatic movement to, to work on internal trauma stuff so that people can have some extra tools on how to manage that. You know, we, we could use people to go to that. Like recruitment uh, across the board is is really the struggle. We we ended up getting some money through the burn grant through Measure 110. That's how I'm employed right now is, is I'm a peer support specialist through that grant. But the, uh, the process has been kind of tough to get that started with uh, the other staff member. We, we could, you know, if, if, if folks are looking for work, we, we have other positions available. We have um, volunteer opportunities. We have trainings that are going to be coming up. Really, we just need folks that are willing to and are interested in, in participating, interested in joining us and kind of expanding in a reasonable way, or at least revitalizing some of the programs that, that got um, killed during COVID. For folks tuning in, you're listening to Prison Pipeline, airing from the studios of KBO Portland. We're here with Josh Cook with Phoenix Rising Transition Services and talking about how to get people involved. And for a lot of people probably have no idea what it's like uh, if they haven't you know, either done time or visited a facility anywhere in the United States or, or otherwise. So when we're talking about go- going in and, you know, in, in some ways there's, you know, there, there's, there's reflections of the, the outside inside and, and, and vice versa. And then, um, but then there's also a different uh, culture and things that are going on and, and, you know, people have a lot of misconceptions about what that's like. So, and can you talk about what, what that looks like in, inside and, and also in the way that somebody might, you know, visit and, and volunteer like you're, you're talking about. And uh, might might not have uh, might not feel confident necessarily, you know, in in understanding that. Well, you know, anybody who's hesitant on like what they think the kind of people inside are, I usually ask them like it, one. I usually ask them if um, if the concept of like where we house people for doing crime is what makes you feel like they're dangerous, then that's an issue that we should probably consider. If if the place we're putting them is what's making them dangerous, then then that's a that's a big issue. Um, but really it's, it's more matter of, um, they're all still people. They're just human beings. And the only way to humanize them is for people to really interact with them. When I was doing those classes, some of the guys in there, the only interaction they had with non-staff member were people coming in for our classes from, from the street and seeing internally the shift mentally around that, where they were interacting with other humans who weren't paid to be there. You could see how how much that was affecting them. So if anybody's interested in like visiting, just come from a place of empathy. If you've if you're completely cut off from society and you're told that what you did resulted in this as being your punishment, but also on top of that, we're we're gonna we're gonna cut you off socially from your community and treat you completely different from here on out, but please get better, you know, that's gonna put people in a really bad place. Like it just really creates a, a very um her sense of of self so when volunteers come in and they work with the guys just their presence can do a lot to shift that that doesn't mean that there's not people in there that that are not everybody's in there is, is sunshines and rainbows there's there's people in there for a reason but most of the people in there just want to get out they just want to get out and they just want to change their life they just want to do better they just want to do something different whatever that looks like um, some folks want to do more for their community. Some folks just never want to think about prison again. Some folks just 
they want to change and can't and don't know how they don't have the tools. Um, but for the most part, it, the folks that we work with, the folks that come into our, our program, they, they just, they just want to, they just want to do something different. They just want to do something for their community. They just want to get out and, and be productive members of society. And it sounds like, I mean, it works. It's been happening for a long time. And uh, those are the other things that probably might get kind of, I guess, overlooked or minimized or brushed over is all of the the various successes that have happened over time for different people of, you know, all walks of life who have been incarcerated. Um, can you talk about that a little bit more? And because it's, it's really a large scope of, of how many people's lives have been changed from these kinds of programs, specifically, you know, yours as well there. So um, I don't know, any particular, you know, success story or, or even just anecdotes kind of related to that? Um, yeah, there's a there's a couple of folks that have come through our doors that, that have gone on to do great things. Um, we don't take credit for what they've gone on to do, but they do credit us for being a part of that. Um, uh, Sean Bauer with, uh, with Iron Tribe was a, a person who walked through our doors. Um, I got to work with him a couple of times and he, he, you know, he was going to go on to do what he was going to do, whether he went to Phoenix Rising Transition stuff or not. Um, but he was able to, uh, pick up a few things from, from what we were able to offer him. And, and now Iron Tribe is, you know, they have like 15 sober living houses in Oregon city area. They, they offer classes and, and, uh, treatment, um, for folks in recovery. They offer, um, you know, clean and sober biker activities. Um, they have a, a whole culture of their own that they've built. And, you know, that was a relationship that we have with him because of, of his interaction with, with us. And another one would be, um, you know, a gentleman named Bear started uh, Criminon Anonymous, uh, Criminal Anonymous. Um, he's worked with us a few times. And, um, you know, that organization, it sounds like is doing some amazing things as well. And it's doing a lot of really good. Again, I don't, we don't take credit for, for giving him the tools to make that happen. But his presence in our classes was was felt. We, we ended up working with some some amazing dudes that I don't think would have ever set foot in our doors um, if he hadn't. So, you know, they've gone on to do some amazing work decriminalizing a lot of people's mentality. And, you know, it's, it's, um, it was amazing to see a lot of the light bulb moments that he had in those, in those sessions and in those groups um, and in those trainings and to see some of that go on to influence what that organization looks like is, um, it's pretty cool. It's pretty amazing. It's great to hear all those those stories uh, from time to time. And so we always hope to have y'all back on, you know, and be able to um, have other people share their experiences. That's always really been that relationship that we've had on, on the show, you know, is getting to hear, you know, all the, all these voices of people getting out, getting out and, and doing uh, amazing things. So, um, yeah, as far as uh, following up, getting people involved, you know, um, can you talk a little bit more about that, how people can get in touch? Yeah, uh, they can they can hit us on our website, uh, phoenix-rising-transitions.org. Um, we have an office number. They can call us at 503-465-5490. Um, there's nobody manning that office phone, so you know definitely leave a message. Um, but if they if they reach out to that website, they can hit us there. Um, you can even email me at uh, josh at phoenixrisingtransitions.org, and uh, you know we'll we'll get back to folks as quickly as possible and 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 navigate how to how to get them involved. We're working with uh, with Metropolitan Alliance for the Common Good. That's our sort of like parent organization to uh, to create some some core teams around 
you know, making making some of that happen a little quicker as far as the classes outside and the uh, the classes going back into the institution. But we also just want to, you know, we just want to work with with guys that may, maybe still are struggling too. You know, I'm a mentor now, so I'm certified to be a recovery mentor. So if folks are, you know, justice impacted in some way and they, and they need a, a mentorship, they've been maybe provided that as a requirement for their post-prison or whatever it is that, that looks like. Um, you know, we have availability for navigating that as well. So really the best way is going to the website, sending us an email or, or giving us a call. Josh, we just got a few more minutes. What would you like to see in the next five years in this area of whatever you want to call it? Well, work, work, transformation, transition. Uh, you know, in the next five years, I'd like to see, that's a tough question <laughs> for just a couple minutes. Um, I, in the next five years, I'd love to see Measure 110 actually utilized properly. Um, I think that's been really poorly handled, and unfortunately, it's it's created um, uh, some discomfort with the public around the process of you know quote unquote decriminalizing and and harm reduction, and um, it set a lot of that back. And while we're not a recovery focused organization, um, to you know ignore the fact that recovery work and that uh, addiction doesn't impact our incarceration rates um, would be ridiculous. So we we know that the the importance is is there in, in understanding how how um, those services are going to be continually important. And Measure 110 dropped the ball in so many ways. Um, and while I'm employed from that from that uh, that whole that whole thing, the fact remains that services are, are limited and people are having a struggle uh, getting in touch with with those services. And um, it's creating so much discontent with with folks, um, just, just regular folks that now people that are, are really struggling with being justice impacted or are being looked at uh, even worse than before. I think, you know, if, if you have a, if you have a, if you have any history with that stuff, then people are immediately going to tie it all together. Their hatred for measure 110, their hatred for the police, their, you know, they're not, they're not seeing the humans anymore. And it's really unfortunate. It's a lot of money to be thrown towards a problem without a lot of goals. It's going to be even harder the next time when we say, no, we have a plan this time. So um, the next five years, I would hope that, that somebody can come in and, and revitalize how Measure 110 was actually supposed to be, get rehab centers in place like they were supposed to do, get get pathways to people to those centers and those those resources like they were supposed to do, um, and then revisit that whole process. Well, sounds like a good five-year five plan at least, and we I mean, definitely need a lot more solutions. And always very happy to have you all back um, on the program again. Looking forward to uh, the next time as well. Again, everybody check out Phoenix Rising Transition Services. Um, also, there's the Facebook page and whatnot. And you've been listening to Prison Pipeline, airing from the studios of KBO Portland. Listen to this in previous Prison Pipeline programs at kboo.fm slash Prison Pipeline. Like Prison Pipeline on Facebook. Special thanks to our guests and Prison Pipeline Collective member Karen James for post-production. Free them all. Hey, this is Adam Carpinelli here from the Prison Pipeline Collective asking you to donate to KBOO Community Radio 90.7 FM. Join the movement for community radio. Donate now at kboo.fm and click on Donate. Check out the KBOO mobile app. You can mail us at 20 Southeast 8th Avenue, Portland, Oregon, 97214. 
urge your friends and family members to keep us on the air. Go to kboo.fm and click on donate. Portland on 90.7 FM, K282BH Philomath on 104.3 FM, and K220HR Hood River on 91.9 FM, and on the web at KBOO.FM. KBOO. Community Radio is listener-sponsored. That's right, 80% of our funding comes from donations from listeners just like you. 
You can always make a donation to help keep KABU organic, independent, and non-commercial at kabu.fm slash give. But right now, during our fall membership drive, is the perfect time to contribute. Give now and help us reach our goal of $55,000 by October 28th. Plant seeds in your community 